Well, if you would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and uh, we're going to pick it up there at verse 20. Again, just going through the life and the ministry of, of Jesus. And uh, uh, we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Can you imagine that? We, it seems like we just started this study. And yet when I went through uh, all my notes, uh, uh, um, uh you know, I realized, my goodness, we're coming up to almost the two-year mark where we've started studying the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's just amazing to me. Um, but uh, again, my conviction is this, gang. If, if the more you get to know him, the more you become like him. And I, I just, and my desire, my heart, and I'm sure yours as well, you want to be like him, you know, and uh, not sinless. <laughs> not, not on this side of heaven, amen, guys? Uh, but to love like him, you know, to interact with one another as if he was sitting with us today, interacting with us. So starting with verse 20, he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth, he, he began, or what well, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and must uh, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and, and be raised again the third day. And Peter took him aside and he rebuked him, uh, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto to thee. But he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's one thing I wouldn't want Jesus to say to me. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And what is, what is, a, uh, is a man, prophet, if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul. And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in glory of his Father with angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there will be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Would you please stand with me again, Bible in hand, and we'll pray over this section of Scripture. Father God, again, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, without him, your Holy Spirit, this would just be another book to read. And to many around the globe today, it's just a book. But to us, Father, it's something that's living and powerful. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And we know the power that it has, Father. And we know that it has that kind of power to change lives, Lord. It has, a, it has the power to chasten. It has the power to claim. Father, it has the power because of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive all that the Spirit desires to pour into our hearts today. So again, if there's anyone here today, Father, that's just distracted, Lord, it's, I know this is a crazy time of the year, Lord, busy. But I pray, Father, for such a time as this, that we would be able to lay aside all the cares of this world. Just lay it aside. That we would have ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us. Please, Lord. As it were, God, anoint our minds and hearts. Set them apart just to receive something meaningful from you, Lord. We love you. We love your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together. Thank you so much. Again, just to kind of give you a timeline uh, where we're at in Jesus's life, he is um, uh, probably, well, not probably, he is in his last year of ministry. You see, Jesus's uh, ministry could be broken up into three equal blocks of time 
the first year would be the year of obscurity where he was just being introduced to the disciples or vice versa, the disciples being introduced to Jesus. He's just hanging out. He's starting to make a name for himself. But then it goes into the second year, which is called the year of popularity. And this is where Jesus is teaching some of the greatest teachings ever. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse. His popularity is growing uh, rapidly, man. And people are being healed at a record rate. And, I mean, Jesus is starting to be known throughout all Israel, really. Even outside of Israel. But now we're in uh, the middle of his third year. He's about five months away from going to the cross. He's only got five more years, um, pardon me, five more years, five more months um, uh, on the planet. He, in five, within five months, he's going to be hanging on the, the cross. At this point, every religious leader uh, is against him. The scribes, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees. Um, and by the way, um, for most part, they opposed each other. They had different theologies. They had different ideologies. The scribes wouldn't get along with the Pharisees or the Sadducees. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees would never sit down and, and get along in conversation. But uh, when it came to Jesus, um, the murder, the annihilation, they seemed to come to this common ground. And their thought is, we got we, we to rid, rid ourselves of this, this, uh, this man. And they really begin to plot uh, his, his life or his death. I added verse 20 uh, to our section of scripture this morning where it says, And then he charged the disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, if you remember last week, um, Peter makes this de- declaration that Jesus was the son of Son of God. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, in response to that, said, Well done, Peter. A flesh and blood has not revealed this unto to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then, then Jesus turns around and he goes, But I don't want anyone to know. You know, I, I, I want to keep this, this kind of quiet. I want to keep this uh, uh, a secret. And the question is, Why? Why would Jesus, at this point in his ministry, I mean, for, for most part, you and I would probably say, if I only have five more months on this planet, I'm getting the word out. And it just seems that Jesus is doing the opposite. I, I don't want this to be broadcasted. And, and uh, we, re, we realize that, G, that Jesus is in a major transition in his ministry. He has given everything to them that they need. They've got, they've had the best teaching. I mean, they, they've been taught, uh, you know, that, 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 how to be a Christian. They, they were taught what it means to, uh, to be sacrificial rather than to be, um, um, prideful. I mean, he's taught them everything, but there is one thing they cannot grasp. They can't get this through their heads, uh, that he is going to suffer. We'll see that it, we'll see that in a moment. It's why is it so hard for them to receive this truth? Now, to think about it, they have the, the, the Old Testament. They have the pictures, you know, the mental pictures of the Old Testament. See, there's two pictures when it comes to the Messiah in the Old, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the first picture we have of the Messiah is a conquering king. And this is what they're used to, uh, used to seeing. He is coming and he's going to rule with the rod of iron. He is going to make Israel the center of attention. He is going to remove the Roman yoke, return the scepter back to Judah. And we're going to be set free to be, you know, governed by God once again. That's how they viewed the Messiah. Uh, but we know that the second picture in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament as it relates to uh, the Messiah is going to be a suffering Messiah. See, they couldn't, they couldn't grasp that. When they read Daniel chapter 9, where this, where this Messiah would be cut off for his people. You can read that plainly in the Daniel chapter 9. When you read Psalm 16 and Isaiah 52 and 53, wounded and bruised for our iniquities. They, they, uh, they, 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 allegor, uh, they made it into an allegory. They made it into something else. In fact, 
Even today, if you ask an Orthodox Jew, what about Isaiah 53? They will say that's a picture of Israel. Even today, they're blinded. No, this speaks of a man who would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for peace would be placed upon him. And they just could not get it. They could accept the first picture, but they totally rejected the second. We know that the second picture, uh, after you study it, uh, um, relates to his, of course, his coming the second time. Coming on a white horse. Coming as a conquering king. We know that when he does come, his foot will touch the Mount of Olives. The east will split from the west. There will be a gigantic earthquake opening the ground where the Mediterranean will flow into the Dead Sea. We will see him take his place again in Jerusalem, in the temple area. And he will rule and reign as a king. Second coming. But again, they thought that would be his first coming. And, and if you look again, if you'll follow along with me, verse 21, where he says, From that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem. He's, he suffered many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, all these religious leaders. He's going to be killed and raised again on the third day. Now, the Greek is emphatic. So when he's telling them, that in that language, he is making it emphatic that he must go, that he must suffer, that he must be killed. You know, where he says that I've got to be killed, he's relating to crucifixion. We will see that in a minute. But he's going, this has to happen. So what is he talking about? He's talking about suffering. And that is something, and we'll see in a minute, that they cannot put their minds around. They can't grasp The fact that this one who is going to be their conquering king, this one is going to make Israel the center of attraction again, the one that will return the right to rule and govern themselves, is now talking about suffering, hardships. And this thing is just perplexing to them. It's something that they were not prepared to receive. It's, I guess we could use the word, it's just inconceivable. I always think of that movie, The Princess Bride, when I, <laughs> inconceivable. You know, never mind. It's just going back from, how many of you guys know that scene so I don't feel like an idiot? Thank you. Uh, but it's something that, as far as conception and thinking about this, this is totally foreign to them. And no wonder, you know, that, Peter then takes him aside. It seems like Peter wants just a private conversation with the Lord. He takes him aside. He begins to rebuke him. He rebukes him and he says to him, far be that from you. Far be what? Stop thinking like that. Oh my goodness, we just said uh, you're the Christ, right? The Messiah, the son of the living God. You have come. You're going to set us free. And what is this talk of you going now and you're going to endure this hardship, this suffering? You're going to be the religious leader. I know they're not down with you, but my goodness, you're going to say they're going to kill you, you know? And again, um, they just could not grasp the, the idea that he was going to suffer, and that that was the will of heaven. You know, um, and, and again, to, re, to rebuke Jesus, that's not really always a good idea, you know. He says, this is not going to happen to you. L- listen, it's all advised, Peter. You're, 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 you're off the mark here, buddy. Now, why? Why can we be so um, hard in our stance here? Peter was 100% wrong. As much as I would love to say, Peter, you know, I get it. I, I, I understand your confusion. I know why you would. But, but to, to do this, that statement that you, you made is not from heaven. And sometimes when we watch people go through hardships, we see them enduring things that you maybe in your own mind, in your own heart, you think, well, this doesn't have to be this way. Why don't we just advise them that there is another path to take. Why don't we advise them they really don't have to endure hardships? Why don't we tell them if they just did tweaked a few things in their lives that this might be a little different and you can alter this? And, and what would be the response from them? Would it be the response that Jesus responded? How Jesus responded? You're an offense to me? 
This is something God has chosen me to carry. Years ago, there was a, a buddy of mine out of Calvary, Philly. He used to play the keyboards. And uh, uh, he came down with this really funky cancer where it was just up in his sinuses. But it totally, it just, it went crazy through his whole system. Went down through his nasals and down into his mouth, his throat. And he fought and fought. And I remember how badly they had burned him with radiation and chemo and all. And he was up there at the keyboards. And you could just tell that this thing has taken a toll on him. And I went up to him, man, just to say hi to him. This was before worship started. He was practicing. And I went up. And I'm not going to mention his name because his wife's kind of still familiar with us here but anyway I went up and I just gave him I said you know what man and before I could say anything to him he said hi this is a badge of honor that I get to do this for Jesus and what he was talking about was suffering for Jesus and being able still to let his light shine to let him know that he's not looking for another way out he he look I fought but this is, the, this is the path God has chosen for me. And brother, this is a badge of honor, you see. And we have that tendency to say, look, maybe there's an easier way. Maybe there's someone who's just putting up with a spouse, you know, and he, he or she's abusive or he or she's not very... And some well-meaning believer saying, you know, you really don't have to put up with him. You really don't got to put up with her. You know, God has given you a way out of that. But how do we know if that's really what God's will is? Are we speaking out of turn like Peter? Far be that from you, you know, Joe. Far be that from you, Mary. You, God has given you a way to get out of this. And so why don't you just take the path of least resistance, you know? But then would we be able, like my buddy say, this is a badge of honor, man. This is what, this is what God wants for me. To suffer. To endure hardships. Now look, I'm not a nut. I'm not going, I can't wait to suffer some more. But how do we know the will of God when it comes to that? How do we, how do we know, you know? I, I want to suggest, and I'll say it again a little later. It, you will only know by the, power, by the Holy Spirit of God that you're to stay on that path. Paul said, man, I felt forsaken, pressed down. I mean, beaten beyond measure. But yet I knew that I was still in the will of God. It tells us, again, private conversation, I believe. It says that when he turned, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I don't ever want to be called Satan. But notice the wording, you're an offense to me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. It's a very strong statement, isn't it? He's not, and by the way, he's not saying that Peter is demon possessed. Peter, he's not saying he was demon possessed. He recognizes that that thought, you know, that, that what Peter had just said, be that far from me. He understands the origin of that comes from Satan. It wasn't from it wasn't from heaven. You know, how do I know that? Because I know, according to the scriptures, Isaiah nine, Isaiah I'm sorry, Daniel nine, Isaiah fifty two, fifty three, Psalm sixteen, Psalms twenty two, they pierced my hands and my feet. Even though they didn't understand it, we do today. We understand it. We understand that it was the will of heaven for Jesus to come and suffer and die. That's why you see the whole picture when we take communion. You just can't say death, burial, resurrection. Let's take the wafer. Let's do the grape juice and we'll be gone for the day. Now, when you sit there and you realize all that Jesus went through, you know, maybe the first year was a little year of obscurity. Second year, popularity, not too much persecution. But that third year, people plotting his death, people calling him Beelzebub or he's influenced by Beelzebub. You know, he's enduring just the lies, the criticism, and then finally being turned over to religious people, then being just brutally beaten, then ridiculed and hung on a cross, all by the divine will of God. You know, people have the right to know that, folks. Please listen to me, Christian. I don't want you to feel condemned. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. But I think we should be stirred. Every human being, has the right to know this. 
everyone, your neighbor, your loved ones, that he suffered for them by the will of God. Yeah, interesting thing happened to me when I was in India. I was coming from Chennai. I was on a, a train. And I was with my interpreter. I, he, the cutest guy. He was like four foot nothing. And, and just, it was just so bubbly, full of Jesus, you know. And, you know, and uh, he was always trying to carry my luggage, you know. And uh, just a great brother in the Lord. And uh, so we get onto the train. And uh, we're, we're heading up to um, Calcutta. I was warned that going through these certain areas that I really had to lay low, hide my Bible. And if I could wear a hoodie over my head, you know, the, the, you know just so this white guy don't stand out, uh, please do that. A request from the Christians there. So I was. I had this hoodie over my head and I was just sitting there, hid my Bible. And uh, the train uh, stopped. And uh, I, I looked out the window. It's not, it's not a train station. And all of a sudden, these military people come walking up. So I'm trying to sink low like I'm at the same height of everybody else, you know. And uh, they walk right up to my chair, right up where I was sitting. And they surround me. And I went, this is not good. And uh, this, the, the ringleader, you know, the guy in charge, with a broken accent said, why are you in my country? And my little buddy next to me, who was all full of Jesus, this is not good. <laughs> and then he, he doesn't even acknowledge me. He's <laughs> like, I'm not even with you, right? So I'm so nervous, if you can imagine. I'm thinking, how do I explain this to Erm? Um, I blurt out. No, no. Well, I had this phony card made up that I was a teacher and I taught foreign language. And that's what I was to give to anyone who stopped me. But I wasn't thinking. I was so nervous. So I blurt out, I'm teaching the Bible. <laughs> so this guy with about six or seven other guys standing around us, he, he, and, I, and I can't quote him, but he, I know what he was saying. He was asking me if, if the new was found in the old. And I'm thinking, is the new found in the old? And I just said, I'm teaching the Bible. So I said, sir, are you asking me is the, the teachings of Jesus in the Old Testament? And he goes, the old book? And I went, yeah, the Old Testament. He go, and I go, yes, it is. He goes, show me before we leave. Excuse me? <laughs> show me before we leave. So I had to go find my Bible. I pulled this one right here. I pulled this thing out. And I opened up to Isaiah 53. And he goes, how do you know that's speaking of Jesus? And I took him to Psalms 22 where they pierced my hands and my feet. And he's just staring at me. And, every, and they were just listening. And it was without any other word, they just, got, just walked away, went out the door, train started up and left. And I learned later on that there was a movement in the Indian military. And many of them are watching the passion when it first came out. He just wanted to know if it was true it was in the Old Testament. You see, folks, everybody, no matter if, if whatever race, whatever nationality, whatever uh, background, you have, we, they all have a right to know. And that burden has been placed on you and me. So the question in my own heart, and I wouldn't lay a trip on yours, but my own heart is, what, what right do I have to keep them from it? The death, burial, resurrection, the sufferings of Christ, that very message is the very power that leads someone to repentance, that leads them to salvation. And for me, it's sinful to keep it back from anyone. Make sense? See, the problem, and, and I think Jesus is, is, is saying here, is that th this, is, this, this opinion of yours, Peter, is from Satan. I don't think it's a prideful statement. I don't think he's thinking, well, I just came up with this declaration and how dare you to rain on my parade. You're the son, you know, the son of the living God, you know, you said flesh and blood. Now, I don't think that's it. I just think a bomb went off in this man's head. 
His emotions are being stirred. It's equivalent. Did you ever hear these stories or see these YouTube clips where a son or a daughter just finds out for the first time that that man or woman's not their biological parents? And I'll say, wait, what? What? You're not my dad? You're not my biological dad? And you see just the mental torment that goes on in the heart and the mind. Like, well, then who is my dad? Or who's my mother? Why did you keep this truth from me? Just imagine Peter. Wait, whoa, time out here, Lord. The scepter. Israel being the center again. You're talking about being turned over to die? He says, get thee behind me. uh, Jesus uh, only does that twice within his earthly ministry. John chapter 4, right? Turn these stones in the bread if you're so hungry. First temptation, second temptation. Well, if you're all that, you think you're the son of God. Cast yourself down. Third temptation. Well, if you really want all these people bow down and worship me. What did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Same wording. This is a demonic influence to tell somebody without knowing that it's definitely the Lord that they don't need to endure this hardship could be just a demonic influence. Maybe it is God's will that they endure for a season. Remember, there's always a season that they might have to endure this hardship to wear a badge of honor. It's heavy stuff, isn't it, folks? Because there's many people out there, even my own colleagues, who give this, if they don't directly come out and say it, they still give the opinion that suffering should not be a part of the believer's life. And I, I so disagree with that. I think suffering is just as important as the mountaintop experiences. It makes us in to what God wants us to be. How, or how else will God do that? Again, I just I think they're well-meaning. But again, they could be as wrong as, as ever. But look at verse 24. Then said Jesus to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And that's what it takes sometimes when we face suffering. Listen, we would all love to take the path of least resistance. I just believe it's in the human nature. Amen, guys? If we're honest, if it's easier, let's do that. I'm not sure if that ideology really is in the kingdom of God. I don't see it in the early church. Nothing was easy in the early church. But today we want everything easy. We want everything instant, right? We, we thought when we first started this out, uh, Calvary Chapel, if we just stuck the, the, the sand, we had a sandwich board at, at this uh, old fire hall we were renting. It was just sandwich, the double one. I thought, well, we just put a dove, a dove up and it'll be an instant Calvary Chapel. <laughs> it didn't happen that way at all, you know. It's... it's it's called labor, a labor of love sometimes. But sometimes there's got to be self-denial when it comes to suffering. Sometimes you just have to embrace it. He says, and pick up your cross. That's the way we do follow Jesus. The cross doesn't mean, okay, plan your crucifixion today. It doesn't mean that at all. In the context what it says, you're going to suffer and, and, and walk with it. You remember that guy, his last name was Arthur, or maybe it was, it was his first name, but uh, he carried around that cross back in the 70s, you know. Um, does anybody know what I'm talking about? He walked across, the, what was his name? Blessed Arthur, or Arthur Blessed. And, and a buddy of mine uh, that I've been corresponding with, he wrote a song, I share it in the middle, um, uh, in the, in the middle later on. But anyway, he said when he came out of a, um, out of a bar one night, he was playing and singing there. He, uh, this guy was actually in front of the bar and he had his cross. And, he, and he, if you remember that, he had a set of wheels on the bottom of it. This thing was huge, by the way, and he walked across America with it. But he said that what Blessed Arthur said to him, McGuire comes out and he goes, hey man, what's up? And all Arthur said was, Jesus, that's what's up. And he said there was like a bomb that went off inside of him. You know, it wasn't like, what's this weird dude doing? But Jesus, that's what's up. Jesus, that's what's up. 
You can't carry a physical cross around with you. You can't think you're literally going to die. But when you have to bear suffering sometimes, when you have to bear that cross, that is the only way to follow him. Because the bottom line is if you're looking for the path of least resistance or you're just saying, I'm not, I'm not going to choose suffering, then here's the ultimate question. Then are you really following him? You can't really say you are if you're just looking for a bailout, if you're just looking for an easy way. Sometimes self-denial just requires a, a, a deliberate and a... And a, and a and, and, purposeful um, uh, attitude um, that you're just going to do this. You're going to let God shine through your life no matter uh, what you're going through. I, I, I think it's a lifestyle and I don't think it's easy. I, I think winning a bailout and trying to find an easier way is, um, is, is, is just copping out from what God really wants for your life. Like Paul said in Galatians 2, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul totally understood the oppositions that he faced. He goes, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to continue in suffering in the ministry, and I got to realize that the old man is dead and the new man is alive in Christ, and he'll give me the empowerment to live, to live as Christ. You know, I had mentioned that... that I'm hesitant to mention his name, but um, somehow through this quirky correspondence, that somehow I got in touch with this guy. His name was Barry McGuire, and and we became kind of friends um, through the media, and we're chatting back and forth. and And I had kind of asked him. I said, Barry, is there any chance you're still traveling? And he said, No, that he kind of hung up his traveling sneaks. And uh, uh, he said, But in my signature song that I finished my tour with was a a song called not my will not my will but yours and so he sent it to me you know first he sent me the lyrics but then he said there's a youtube clip and he goes hi this says it all for me and i and i i went through my files i found it the other day and i thought this old raggedy piece of paper here but and but this was a song he wrote when he knew that he wasn't going to be able to travel anymore and, uh, you know, he's getting older. He's the guy that wrote Eva Destruction for you old hippies. And, um, but he goes, I'm not asking you to change my situation. For I know that it's my heart that needs to change. Your love will be revealed as I trust in you. For I trust in you to all those who see me walking through the flame. And if, I'm not, uh, if I am lifted up, it's to your glory. For poverty and wealth are all the same. I am fulfilled just because you love me. So let my life or death bring glory to your name. For either you're my sovereign God or you're just a fantasy. You're either in control or you're not. So whatever comes my way, I know it's your perfect will for me. And I'm trusting you with everything that I've got. And of course, this, the chorus goes, not my will, but your will be done. And he goes off YouTube. It's a great little song. I'm singing it all the time when I go through the house all the time. I think Irm's getting sick of it. But anyway. I sing it for you, but it's the first service and uh, don't want you walking out on me. Spurgeon said this when it came to the cross and, and um, dying to oneself. He says, I have now con- uh, concentrated all my prayers into one. And that prayer is this, that I may die to myself and live holy to him. That I might die to myself. Gang, that's, that's what it's all about. It's not about getting all that you can get for self. It's actually completely the opposite, just to die. He says, follow me. The word to follow me is in the present tense, which means keep following me. No matter what you might be going through, no matter what kind of sufferings you might have to endure, follow me. It just speaks of a personal relationship. It just speaks on staying close to him. To me, that's the key to longevity as a Christian. Knowing that, you know, that sometimes we have to deny ourselves. Sometimes we do bear that suffering, the cross. 
And then ultimately just staying in touch in that personal relationship and following him for your life. Listen, this life is just a vapor, right? You know, some people live this life like they're going to live forever. How many of you know that that's not true? The older I get, the, and I'm not doing the whole way, I'm old, triple, but I realize, where did all that time go? You know, some of young people, especially I see young parents, they just think their lives are all, it's going to, you're going to look back where I am at 63 and look at grandkids that are going on mission trips and are thinking about driving, grandkids, not kids, you know. Poppy, can you help me get a car? Poppy, can you help me drive? No! I want you to still play with your Barbies. Play with the toy trucks, you know. Not a real truck. Makes you feel old. The time's gone. You know. Ah, you know, I... It goes by too fast for us to think. You know, listen, part of growing up, teaching our kids that... It's not always easy. Even as children, I think of my granddaughter. There's no way you're going to tell that kid that life is just full of blessings and full of happiness. You know, you're not going to tell Emily that. There's a lot of kids out. You're not going to tell Amy, who lost a 10-year-old daughter, that life is just full of roses and good times. There is suffering. But he that holds on to the end, right, to endorse to the end. So I really do. I think that Spurgeon was right on to concentrate your prayers just into one that I might die to myself and live holy to him. He kind of tries to help the disciples um, to help them understand verse 25. Whosoever want to save his life will lose it. If you're looking for bailouts, if you're looking not to suffer, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to lose a lot. And I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. Whoever will lose his life, though, you give it up. He's not talking about literally physically going to die. But if you just lose the self-desires, the self-pleasures, if you die to yourself, you will be so alive in Christ. You'll hear his voice in the darkest moments of your life. You'll sense his spirit sometimes when you're, you think you're so alone, but yet you know he's standing with you. Well, those experiences come through those times of just denying yourself and picking up a cross and following after him. I don't know if this was a quote or uh, something that just came to my head, but Jesus is worth any sacrifice in order to follow him. It's worth it. Then he tries to help them understand in verse 26. He says, for what is a man? What does he profit if he gains the whole world? And how many of us seen that? Where we just think we just need more and more things. And we'll be more and more satisfied by the more and more things we have. And you realize, and especially the wealthy, the rich and famous. You know, they realize how empty really material things are. How lonely you can be. You gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul. He's not talking about the eternal there, folks. He's not talking about, hey, what's a gain? If you gain everything and yet you go to hell, what? that's not what he's trying to tell his disciples. It's way out of context to interpret it that way. He's talking about the peace of man, the, the inner peace. The soul means the, the makeup, the psyche makeup, having peace with God. He goes, look, and if you're thinking you're going to have peace with God and feel fulfilled by just living for yourself and avoiding hardships and suffering, he says, look, die to those self-denials and guess what's going to happen? You're going to feel so gratified within your heart, and within your soul. You're going to feel close to God. Like my buddy said, this is a badge of honor. Are you killing me? kidding me? What does he get? What does a man give in exchange for that kind of peace, that kind of inner, your soul? Real. Listen, in the New Testament, the spirit is the, the eternal, what will live for, uh, forever. The soul is always the emotion, the psyche, our joy, our happiness, contentment, all those emotional things we go through, that's the soul. And what dictates to that, guys, is peace with God. To have peace and fulfillment with him. 
And again, what he's saying here, what would you benefit? There's no benefit gaining the whole world. He's warning us again to leave the will of God for material things. It could be disastrous, spiritually speaking. In verse 27, for the Son of Man, he came in the glory, or the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward everyone according to his works. That works is in reference again to the denial, to the, to, to the, um, to, sac- to, to the enduring suffering, to following. That's what he, when the Son of Man comes with his angels, and that time comes where he then rewards his followers, he does recognize those who, who endured hardships, and they will be rewarded for that. Imagine seeing Jesus face to face one day. People like my buddy being recognized for finishing well. You know, a woman staying with her husband when she had every reason to leave him. Or vice versa, a man leaving his, could leave his family and abandon it, but he doesn't. He sticks in there. He suffers many things, but yet he keeps following Jesus. The well done, thou good and faithful servant, is towards him and her. That's the See, folks, this is why it's important when you're reading your Bible. Don't take things out of context. He's not talking about the eternal in such a way. Like if you're just, if you're martyred for Christ, you know, it's not what he's talking about. You know, just in, a, in finishing quickly, what I did just to put a cap on this study. Why is it, it why is it so beneficial for you and I to embrace a teaching like this. Why? Well, if you were to take out any Bible computer program and just type in affliction or you would type in suffering, you would see a list of cross referencings and different Bible verses where it says, if you suffer the right way, here's the benefit of that. The people who teach teaches that a believer should not suffer, that a believer should not endure hardship, in reality, they are robbing the body of Christ. Because it, there's, it's beneficial for you and I to know. One of them is, this is the way we promote His glory. If I were to ask you outside of this teaching, you have a desire just to glorify God in your life? Well, sure, huh? Man, that's what I want to do. Ultimately, that's my goal, man. Okay. Well, then suffer for him. You know, you might not be down with that. Or, that's a kid's language, isn't it? You, you might not agree with that. You would say, well, wait a minute. And yet, you look through the scriptures and you find texts like in John chapter 9 when the, Jesus is walking with the disciples and they see this guy born blind, right? They had this thing that if a man suffered, it was because he sinned or maybe his parents sinned. So they see this blind guy, right? And say, hey, Jesus, who blew it? Did this guy blow it or was it his parents? And, and Jesus turned around and goes, neither one. The reason this man's blind is to reveal the glory of God. Really? And God healed him. And that's what God does sometimes. Hey, why is that so? He's so caught in the trespasses of his sin. Was it something he learned? Was it parental, uh, you know, sin? What was it? No, no, no. That's just, that's, you're, you're off the track, buddy. No, this is happening because I'm going to reveal myself through him. I'm going to save him. I'm going to save the likes of him. And I'll be glorified. The same thing happened, remember, with Mary and Martha? His buddy Lazarus, that word got back to Jesus. Hey, your buddy Lazarus, he's, he's, he's at the point of death. Jesus says, well, we got to lay back a little bit because I want the guy to die. Now, I'm paraphrasing for you. I could write the neatest paraphrase Bible, I'm telling you. The guy's got to, you know, he's got to. <laughs> and then he does. He dies. Then Jesus goes. Because why did he die? It was so that the glory of God could be revealed. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. You mean, Harry, my sufferings will bring God glory, glory to God? Yes. That's just two examples. 
It also exhibits his power. It exhibits his faithfulness. When Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, we're not despaired, persecuted, not forsaken, cast down, not destroyed, always bearing abound in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life also of Jesus might be manifested through our bodies. What we go through, that Jesus might be revealed and manifested. So why would the Christian want to bail out if suffering is part of it? Next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus being transfigured, and it's going to be a little later than this one. Sometimes, suffering helps the believer to come back to him. I I think of the prodigal son, right? You know, as soon as he had his fill of all the pig slop, it tells us, he said, I had it better off with my dad. I'd be better off as a slave than I'm going back home. Sometimes suffering causes us to go back to the Father. But I found a very interesting verse in Hosea chapter 2. It says, it says, therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. I'll make your walls and she shall not find her path. She shall follow after her lovers, but she, uh, she shall not be overtaken them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. And then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. It's an allegorical statement. But he was saying, I am going to make her life so hard and difficult that she's going to come back to me. Speaking of Israel. And sometimes, and I've seen it. I've been doing this a long time. You know, you just want to take somebody by the head. And say, How long will you keep running? Look at your life. You have made nothing but a a disaster out of your life. Won't you return back to God? They will. Listen, I have maybe nine or ten of these. But I I don't have time to go through it. All I can say in closing, gang, is suffering like our Lord. There's There's rhyme and reason. For you and me to try to say, yeah, brother, you come up. For you and I to to try to dissuade, or maybe it's a rock of offense. You know what that means? Peter, you just put a rock in the middle of my path. And you're a trap. One translation said, Peter, you are a dangerous trap to me. Dangerous. It is a dangerous thing for another believer to tell someone suffering is not a part of God's will. I guess two guys, uh, Greg, if you'll make your way out. Um, practically, though, what, what do we do? You know, how do we put this into practice? I mean, you, you, see, again, and I, I, me and many other pastors, um, we make the mistake as we love teaching the Bible, but we never just give practical um, solutions. What do you do? You, you could be suffering right now and you're going, okay, I'm going to button down, man, and I'm just going uh, to, you know, bite the bit and just hang in. Well, I don't think God wants you to endure hardships that way either. No, I, I, I think that when, when you are going through, you, the number one, if you're, if you're a note, don't isolate yourself. Don't think that you have to endure this by yourself. That's why it's so important that we, we, we come together you know, not just to worship him and, and to read and study the Bible. Hopefully you're cultivating relationships with one another. You're getting to know one another. That's why in January I am so I'm hyped, up, or hyped up about this um, uh, home fellowship uh, thing we're doing. So you get to know each other in case I, I'm going through something. You'll be able to share it with people and have people. You never want just to isolate yourself. Call the church. Let us know. I was on the phone with Debbie last night. You know, a dear friend of ours who's going through a cancer treatment. Just talking with her, trying what we're doing, getting elders around her. We're going to anoint her with oil. She needs us. There are other people. Peggy, she needs her church. And if we're just living isolated lives and just dealing with our own hardships by ourselves, then I don't think that's God's will either. We just need each other. And we've got to remember that the way we follow him is to continue to read the word. You, you, you're going through suffering. Don't, don't isolate yourself from the word of God. 
Pick it up. Even if you don't, I, I don't feel like it. How you don't know what I'm going through? I mean, my marriage is all falling apart. It's fraying at the very hem. But no, well, that's when you do go into the word. Well, why is that so important? Because that's where God speaks to you. That's where you'll hear him talk to you about, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will always be with you to the ends of the age. You could do this. I'm, I'm building Jesus in you. That's what the Holy Spirit would say to you. Don't isolate yourself from one another. You'd never isolate yourself from the word of God. And you've always got to remember that there is value. There is always value in the suffering or hardships you might be going through. And you know what? If you'll stand with me. Um, you don't have to leave here today. Feeling isolated. You know, we have a prayer team. They come up, they stand up here. Sometimes no one comes up. Sometimes I'll see the whole place is full up here. But I want you to know that's always available to you. That these guys love you. They're, they're not here to counsel you. They're not here to give you advice. They're just here to pray with you. And just this, maybe to encourage you to hang in there. You know, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Just keep your, keep your eyes straight ahead. Keep them focused on Jesus. You know that verse? You know, any man that puts his hands to the plow and if he turns around, he's not, if the word says not fit for it, but it literally means worthy. It's not worthy for the kingdom of God. Well, why? Because the idea of somebody plowing with a plow, his furrows, the way he's plowing, needs to stay straight and narrow. If we're always turning back and we're always worried and we're always thinking about the suffering, your furrows, your path will always be like this. And you will never feel like you're on a, great, a straight course uh, to Jesus. But people who pray for you, to encourage you, stay, just stay to, to the course. Don't look to the left. Don't look to, Harry, I got cancer. Yeah, well, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Let's pray. Let's anoint you with oil. Jesus, Harry, my kids, they're prodigals. They're going crazy. I, I didn't raise them this way. Yeah, I understand. There's many of us that we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher of our faith. Does that make sense, church? God is good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together and then Greg will lead us out in a song. Father, we stand before you and we thank you for the season. Tis the season. <laughs> what a message, Lord, before Christmas. But it's true, Lord. The greatest gift you gave to mankind was the baby Jesus. And yet that, that, that baby Jesus, part of that gift, would, have suffered, would have be suffering and dying on, on our behalf. That he would take our sins upon himself. That was the gift. And a gift of your Holy Spirit. You said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send a comforter. I think even if we have to lay down our lives for you, that comforter will give us the strength. And so, Lord, we know today that part of this journey with you, we might endure valleys. And we might have those mountaintops. Be that as it may, Lord. Wherever we find ourselves... We want to be content. And we want our eyes focused on you. And we know, Lord, that you so love the world that you gave that greatest gift. That means, Lord, that every human, every, every, every human that was conceived has the right to hear that message. They have the right to know you love them. And if suffering is the way that that message uh, is uh, propelled, Lord, brought forth, when God give us the strength, the endurance. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. amen.